Hey, this is Pastor T.J. Earl at Knoxville Community Church. I'm so happy that you've decided to tune in with us as we are encouraged, convicted, and challenged by God's Word this morning. If you don't know anything about us, you can find more information at knoxvillecommunity.com or see us at Knoxville Community Facebook page and Instagram page. You can go there also if you'd like to partner with us financially to knoxvillecommunity.com. There's a button that says Give in the top right corner. We'd love to partner with you in any way we can. If you need prayer, you can shoot an email to prayer at knoxvillecommunity.com or shoot me an email at tjearl at knoxvillecommunity.com. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at AMC Theater on Millertown Pike. We would love for you to come and be a guest of honor and pray with us as we serve this community and try to see all those that are lost in this world find their home in Jesus Christ. In John, as you know, many of us, uh, we've been going through John for quite some time. And we're going to skip the next section that we have in John, um, the first next two, 10 verses. And we haven't skipped anything um, to this point. And we're not technically skipping. We're just going to move past it. And then at Palm Sunday, we're going to come back and use this section in John for Palm Sunday. And on Easter, we will also go forward to chapter 20 in John. So we're still going to continue to use John. Now, just because we are skipping this verse obviously does not mean that it didn't happen. So as we speak today, just like we've, we've spoken every week in the book of John, you must remember the context. You must remember what was taking place in the life of Jesus, not just here, but historically, and also the, the time surrounding it. All these things in the next few chapters happen very quickly and around the same time. And so you've got to keep that in mind as we go into these next few verses We're going to be going to John chapter 12, verse 20 today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Jesus, if you remember, was almost killed in Jerusalem, almost stoned. He steps away, goes into the wilderness, comes out of the wilderness, heads back towards Bethany, where he finds Mary, Martha. He is um, anointed by Mary and is now heading back into Jerusalem last week, uh, or not last week, but in those former verses where he was brought in uh, what we call Palm Sunday. And this is where we pick up with him now in John chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. All right, so we've got the Greeks here. We've got a a new character almost for us that has come into play. We've seen them referenced in John, but the first part here in 20 tells us that there were some Greeks that came forward. The Greeks are known as wanderers. They were those who went from town to town in search of wisdom or knowledge of some sort. And so that's kind of the idea of who the Greeks were. Nonetheless, they were most likely God-fearers. They were those who believed in God. Many Greeks did in that time. But the issue was that they were kind of held out at arm's length because the Jews would not allow Greeks to be in their inner circle. As we've kind of accomplished that mission, as we've talked throughout the last several months, the Jews were not allowing anyone to come into their club as they were the elect people. They were the select crew. God's blessings were for them only, not the Greeks, not the Gentiles, not the dogs. They could not come in, just us. So 
the Greeks, while they were God-fearers and people who wanted to seek God, were not allowed to come into the temple except for maybe just the outskirts of it. So they would have a lot of things that they would see and seek in God. But if you could imagine, actually you can't imagine because we have a lot of churches that operate without much biblical authority uh, today. But if you could imagine what Greeks would do when they would kind of be people going after knowledge, fearing God, but yet kind of making their own theology. They didn't have access to the Old Testament like all the Jews did. They couldn't just go in and have what they want. So they would have a lot of things that were just kind of filled with their mind and what they think God is, and what they think God would be. And so they have a lot of questions, a lot of things uh, that rightfully so. And now there's this guy on the scene named Jesus, who's not just teaching to Jews, but he's teaching to everyone. So the Greeks are saying, hey, we want to know more. There's this guy who claims to be a Jew, and he's teaching things that sound correct, that come from the law himself. He hasn't even memorized. Let's hear from him. So they go to find Jesus. The Greeks coming to find Jesus is the exact thing that Jesus said would happen in chapter 10, was it not? He said that I have other sheep who are not in my fold, and they will hear my voice. Just a few chapters back, Jesus was saying this as it was also prophesied in Isaiah and in Malachi, as it was prophesied through the Old Testament that those outside of God's people, the Jews, the Gentiles, would come in and hear. But what I want to draw your attention to, though, Philip spent time in the Decapolis and he made a strong connection that they would even come and approach Philip. It says a lot about who he was. Your first point this morning, the, connect, the connection you make today could be their connection to Jesus tomorrow. The Greeks felt confident enough to seek out Philip and say, hey, this could be our gateway to speak to Jesus. They've probably attempted every other way that you can imagine. They've tried and they do go to the festivals over and over again, yet they have to stay outside. They do try to go to all the uh, Sabbath and all the other things that were being celebrated, but yet they're held to the outside. But Philip goes and delivers the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ, the compassion, the message that Jesus is welcoming them in and makes a connection and now they see they have a way to Jesus. Many of you, as you know, have the potential, have the calling, and have the request for you to be the connection to Jesus that someone's maybe never had before. You don't know exactly what it means when you have that small conversation with someone at Walmart, at that convention, at daycare, at school, at work. That you could have had that one small thing, and I've watched it happen in my life, where someone comes and says, TJ, I know that we talked about this before, and you're obviously someone that prays, or you go to church, you're a pastor, and I just want you to know I've got something going on in my life. What if you treated every single one of those connections that you have in your life as if that is the bridge, that is the avenue, that is the way to find Jesus? Thank goodness the Greeks can look at the life of Philip and say, 
they had a bridge, they had a connection to go find Jesus. I'm not going to, I didn't, I thought about sharing this video, but um, it would have been too long today uh, to do so. I, I challenge you, there, there's a well-known Christian speaker. His name is uh, Andy Andrews. Uh, when I tell you to listen to somebody about something, uh, I, I can't speak for everything, but I, I do, and I have heard this, speak by him, uh, this speech by him many times. And um, Andy Andrews has, uh, just Google it, YouTube, he talks about this thing called the butterfly effect, and I'm not talking about the uh, Ashton Kutcher movie, I'm not talking about any of that, I'm talking about the butterfly effect. It was a theory uh, that was uh, a long time ago by Edward Lorenz. The idea was that, uh, has anyone heard of the butterfly effect? Right, that a butterfly would flap its wings here and can cause a hurricane on the other side of the earth. And people laughed at that for a long time, and then turns out, uh, years and years later, they said, oh, this is actually like actual physic law uh, that happens, and the butterfly effect was written in to the laws of science. And Andy tells this story about a man named Norman Bert Borlaug. He's this uh, guy that becomes the person of the week, and he saved two million people by hybridizing uh, corn and wheat for arid climates. So places in Africa, South America, places that could not have a lot of crops would then uh, be able to have food. And they said, this guy is the person of the week because he saves two million people. So Andy tells this story. And he says, but maybe it's not Norman Borlaug. Maybe it's uh, the guy before him, Henry Wallace, who was the vice president for Harry Truman. Maybe he's the person of the week because he's the one that got Norman Borlaug involved in this and assigned him as the vice president to a place in Mexico with a scientific lab whose only role was to do what? Hybridize corn and wheat. They thought, okay, well, if Norman Borlaug's not the person of the week, maybe it's this man. But if it's not Henry Wallace, then maybe it's George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver, many of us know because we have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all the time, right? And in elementary school, we remember that George Washington Carver was the man that invented peanut butter. But it wasn't just peanut butter. It was thousands of other things. His inventions in peanuts, sweet potatoes, corn, all that kind of stuff, have, we've used them even today. Guess who was the young man that George Washington Carver watched over in his lab? It was Henry Wallace. So maybe it wasn't Norman Borlaug or Henry Wallace. Maybe it was George Washington Carver. He says, maybe he's not the person of the week. Maybe it was this farmer in Diamond, Missouri, who had uh, in Diamond, Missouri at that time, there were slaves about and slavery was rampant, but he did not believe in slavery. And this woman named Susan, who had a little baby named George. And uh, the Quantrell's Raiders, if you imagine what that is, that's like the KKK came in, took Susan and took that baby and she fought and she fought and she was taken away with that baby, George. But Moses was his name, and he loved that baby so much, and he loved this lady who was not his slave but worked here to get, uh, to get by to feed her children. He went and sent messages and went to find, and he met up with Quantrell's raiders, and in this burlap sack, they take this baby, he trades his black horse, and they throw the baby over to Moses. Susan, unfortunately, who was murdered, and they knew that, and he raises this baby, and Moses Carver gives George Washington Carver his own name. So if it wasn't Norman Borlaug, it was Henry Wallace, it was George Washington Carver, but was it Moses Carver? And so on and so on and so on. 
You have no idea the impact that you have with your life and what it can mean for the connection that people have to Jesus. I know that church planting, uh, believe me, I know it is difficult. We have ups and we have downs and it's this kind of infantile season that we're in. We've got different opportunities and different things that we can do, can't do, all that kind of stuff that we're trying to figure out. And I think it's easy to get lost in saying, here's where we want to be. This is where we're going. Uh, Just as the disciples would have been with Jesus and the things that he was saying to do. Here's where we're going. This is what we're doing. But if we forsake the moment that we're in right now and we miss the connections that we have right now, that we may miss those connections that people will have with Jesus in the future. If Philip could have said, hey, I know you want me to go to the Decapolis, but really there's nothing there but just a mosh pit of people that aren't going to be happy with it, I have to say anyways. So Jesus, why don't I just stay with you? Because you're here. It's more comfortable with you. I'd rather just listen to you and walk with you and see you do things. What if Philip had not done that and stayed faithful in the things that God had called him to do? The connections you make today could be the connection for someone to Jesus tomorrow. We've got to be less closed off like robots that are accomplishing tasks and more like bridges, streets, roadways, allowing avenues to Jesus. Slow down. See those moments of intentionality and impact that are all around you. I could go on with examples. Don't have the energy to do so, but... I could go on with examples forever. Waitresses, waiters, family members. Guys, you get the point. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been built as a bridge and an avenue to lead people to him. Don't fall into this trap of you're a believer and God is just sovereign and just going to make it all happen. Nobody believes in God's sovereignty more than I do. But you have a purpose and a plan, and you've been called to tell people about Jesus Christ. Otherwise, let's just get saved and plucked out of here. It doesn't work that way. Verse 23. I'll stay on that point all day. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This illustration, as all of Jesus' illustrations are, it is uh, perfect. He begins to prepare his disciples and his followers for what is to come. He has, in many ways, predicted his own death and prophesied his own death already. But this time he speaks it very, very clearly. Up until this time, death has only equaled one thing. There's been no benefit. Death was this necessary evil that even in Jewish culture, that if you were anywhere around death, you must be cleansed. Death is this nasty thing. And I would uh, contend death continues to be a nasty thing. I don't quite understand the theology of 
people making friends with death almost. Death still is horrible. Death still stinks. And I think we often try to use this, well, death has no sting. Yes, it does. It doesn't have a sting in the sense that, yes, we know that eternal life happens. But if I lose one of my children or my wife and you come to my funeral and tell me that death has no sting, you will find your way out because it does hurt. But God then delivers a promise of hope. And this was the time that Jesus came and he changed what death meant and what happens in death. It was this necessary evil. Jesus, on one hand, is saying, I am the Messiah. I've come to save you. People are dancing in the streets. Remember, people just welcome him into Jerusalem very excitingly. Many confused and thinking that he's coming to deliver him them from the Roman Empire. So he says that on one hand, and then the other hand, he's sitting here saying, hey, I'm about to die. Well, hold up, Jesus. Which is it? Are you here or are you not? Are you going to take it over or are you not? Because what I'm here and you're here, you're the son of man as we're about to see. You're going to be eternal. You're going to save us all from this horrible uh, persecution that we're in. Imagine what they're thinking. But Christ has a message that he has brought life in death. Now, I want you to follow this next point. You and I have not been excluded from losing our life. All right, hear me say that again. You and I have not been excluded from losing our life, but we were given hope that when we lose our life, we will gain it in Christ. Right? There's this idea that Christ died, therefore now I'm good and I don't have to die. How do you reckon that with Jesus directly looking at his followers and saying, pick up your cross? How do you reckon it with the teachings of Paul that says to live as Christ, to die is gain? You and I, while we don't have to suffer an eternal death, we have been called to lose this life of sin, this life that is before us, to take it to the cross, sacrifice it, give it away so that we can have a new life in Christ. You don't have a new life and hold on to your old life the same. That one's got to be gone first. We've misunderstood at times what it means when Christ gave his life. Yes, he did the work that you could not do. He did the work that I could not do because of his grace, mercy, love, compassion. The fact that his father, who he was submitted to, asked him to do so. And because of that, you and I don't have to suffer that kind of death. But make no mistakes about it. You and I have not been excluded from losing our life. And Jesus says it plainly here that he will lose his life. The illustration he uses is that, that wheat, that grain of wheat. That if it just stays there, nothing happens, right? Everyone knows that you have to go through, shake the wheat, so that when the kernels fall then it can go into the ground and what? Produce new life. Our life is like that. That if we lose our life for Christ and we serve him, it says here, my father will honor the one who serves him. Verse 27. 
Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. Jesus knows what is coming very soon. The dust from the ground that was lifted up by the crowds that were bowing and worshiping Jesus just a day ago has not settled back down before Jesus is already thinking about what is coming. He says he is troubled. The word to teretai, this means to be made upset. It is something that is bent over backwards. Jesus uses this multiple times in the next uh, several chapters about his being troubled and being filled with anguish. The reaction that I have when I am bent over backwards, troubled, is to get away from whatever it is that's causing that. It's a natural reaction, I think, that many of us would say that we have. None of us like to be put in situations that upset us. As a matter of fact, when we counsel one another, we try to give each other advice to remove yourselves from those types of things. Yet Christ, who was extremely troubled in this moment, looking and seeing, right? Now, I've talked about this uh, on The the Chosen many times. And, you know, people kind of get up and and bent over backwards over, you know, is this correct or not correct? Uh, There are things that the show makes you think about that I think are healthy for all believers to think about, even if it's analyzing things that you may not agree with. One of those things that you miss out on if you don't stop and realize, because what happens is that we read Scripture over and over and over again, and they just become words on a page, and it becomes the same narrative. It becomes the felt page. It becomes the felt board with the, the... child story, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And you've got to realize this was actually happening. We're not trying to add things into scripture. Dallas Jenkins, who's the creator of that show, has said many times that is not their role to add anything to scripture. But what it does is how many times do you think Jesus walked through the same place that he knew he was about to walk with a cross on his back? I've told you guys in illustrations, like the Romans crucified enough people that they could put arm to arm from here to Chattanooga and back. How many times did Jesus go through the town, hear people screaming in crucifixion, knowing that was coming? Jesus is filled with trouble. And he looks at those whom he loves, who he cares for. And he runs right into the face of trouble. The spiritual heard the Lord. They thought it was an angel's voice. Those who were not thought it was thunder. 
But there's one thing, and, and what I've noticed here, Jesus is speaking about his being lifted up. That is not about his ascension. That is about him being lifted up on the cross to die, as he's already spoken about in John, which is a reference of what, if you remember what Moses did, as he raised the snake and it was lifted up and all whose eyes were on it, they were saved. Christ must be lifted up. He's speaking about his death, and it says here even that he was saying that so they would know what kind of death he would have. But what's interesting, he says, I will draw all men to myself, all people to myself. We live in a world who wants to at least pretend that they really want inclusivity, diversity. They want to see people come together. We know that's not what they really want, for the most part, even including ourselves. A lot of times we say those things, but there's always a uh, conjunction that comes with it, right? There is only one thing that will bring all men and women. Every nation, every background, every political stance, every color together, and it is the cross of Jesus Christ. No politician, no social action, no amount of money or power will ever bring people together than one day when we are all brought together at the feet of Jesus. You understand that? There will be a great division and those who know him will be brought together and those who are not will be thrown into an eternal lake of fire. But there will be a day that all men, all women are drawn to Jesus. I mean, you think about lifestyles, think about backgrounds. What connection besides Jesus Christ would have brought me and Johnny together? How would we have crossed paths? What brings me back to this theater? What brings me in the path of you? It's not because of anything other than Jesus Christ who has drawn each of us here. That's why it's lasting. If we're just bound by a football team, I've had many people that I've talked football with, but I don't ever talk to them again, who I don't know. I've had plenty of people that I've talked to about things of this world, but that stuff fades. But the people who I've served with, the people who I've been brought together with by the cross of Jesus Christ, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by his church, those are the relationships that have lasted. Those are the funerals that I go back to. Those are the people that I call family and friends. That's the only thing that can bring us together. And even inside the church, what I hate to see is that we say, well, it's just a cop-out to say that only the cross can bring us together. Only that you've got to do social justice on this end, or you've got to do that. Look, I'm not trying to excuse those things, but if you don't understand first and foremost that it is Jesus that draws all men, then you will make the mistake. And those relationships that we just studied for the last month, those things won't last. So the crowd speaks up and they say this, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say, remember a second ago I said he's saying in one hand he's the Messiah, one way he's going to die. He says, how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus told them, 
you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark (coughs) does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and he hid himself from them. The term the son of man and the term everlasting, both of those come from the book of Daniel. Where the son of man is prophesied, you could go and look in Daniel and find that reference. And he is indeed speaking of being everlasting. But many times, as Jews were good at, they would take one part of the law, they would take one part of the scripture, fit it to their needs and what they would like, and they would dismiss the rest of it. Because I think to myself, it's easy to say, well, you're the son of man, and Daniel says this. Well, what about Isaiah 52 and 53? What about that? What about Malachi? What about Ezekiel? What about the Psalms and all the places that point to the coming Messiah? And Jesus' response is absolutely uh, something that I think echoes through even today. I do believe that there are different uh, dispersions in the sense that there are different times that things happen. Jesus here is saying that his earthly ministry is about to be over. He himself is the light. They're worried about what's coming. They're worried about the future. How can you say that he's going to be lifted up and and killed? Who is the son of man that you're speaking of? And he says, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk in the light. Become children of light. Because the darkness will come, as he's going to say in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Darkness will come. But the light is here. You and I have a limited time now in this setting. None of us here walked in the earthly ministry of Jesus. We're now in a different time, awaiting the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we have limited time because these children of light, right? This was in this time, these children of light that took what Jesus said, passed it on to someone else, who passed it on to someone else, who made a connection with someone else. And you and I are here in Knoxville, Tennessee, speaking about it today because of that. So we are a connection to that light. But you and I have limited time before that light is going to be eternally in the new heaven, in the new earth. And those who did not become children of light will be in eternal darkness. The good news is for those of us who are children of light, those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, the enemy has no power over you. Darkness cannot overcome light. You understand that? We can't make this room with that light on. We can't make it darker. The only thing we can do is shut that light off. And thank God, you and I are not the power and source of our light. It's Jesus. His light doesn't go off. So darkness can't overtake it. So we have that hope. We have that promise. But the truth is we have a limited time. 
We only have so many opportunities to make connections. We only have so many chances. Tomorrow could be my last day. I walk out of here, it could be my last time I walk through that door. Wherever we go, it could be your last chance to either one, come to know him or make a connection for someone to come to know him. Jesus is just days away from what's going to become absolute torture. And his one focus is saying, hey, there's time left. Walk in me. My message for you guys this morning as we close, you may have your own difficulties, your own things in life that you're going through in this moment. But as long as there's breath in your lungs, walk in him. Shine the light that he's given you. Make connections with people to come and find their way to Jesus Christ. Be willing, not just willing, but excited to lose your life so that you will gain it that much more in eternity. Jesus is not speaking in unclear terms here. We don't have to mix around and say, maybe Jesus meant this here. He's very clear. And that call is true for us. Let's not miss these opportunities. Knoxville Community Church, this little light in Spring Hill community is here for just this time. We don't know how long. We don't know how big, how small. What we know is that it's here, and because of Jesus Christ, the light is on. Make those connections. Shine the light of Jesus. Overcome the darkness. We want to see revival take place like we've seen certain places and people. And we, Now we're debating about what even is revival. I don't know, but if we're seeing more and more people worship, then what does it really matter? If people on college camp, like when I was at UT campus, nobody was singing praise and worship songs in the street. So what are we complaining about? We want to see things take place all across this city, all in our families, in our country sit back and gripe and complain and say how bad things are or whatever, that's not leading anyone to Jesus. But what is, is if you shine hope, love, grace, compassion, all the things that make up Jesus' light, and people will come to know him. Because he's that good. He's that great. And his cross alone draws men and women to himself. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity. Now, we did not find a trick to, to muster up and create a light in and of ourselves, but you alone put a light inside of us, a light that we could not make, a light that we could not muster up, but, Father, we receive it. God, and help us shine our light, make connections with people that are walking in darkness, as your scripture says, it's like people that are walking into walls that are fumbling and walking over their feet because they can see nothing. They are blind, yet they continue to walk. May we shine your light. May we be voices of love and reason and compassion and mercy and point people to the cross. That when all else fails, that we can find common ground at the foot of the cross. 
Father, we thank you for Sundays where not everything runs perfectly to remind us of our humanity and our need for you. We thank you for trials and tribulations which are meant to strengthen our faith. Further, have us trust in you even more. May we be so confident in that that we wouldn't want to trade one single moment of tribulation or trial as we know it is those very things that bring us closer to you. I pray for each person in here this morning. God, that you would help them to live with intentionality to impact people this week and make connections to point to you. That at any moment when they think about keeping and holding on to their life that is surrounded in sin in this world, God, that your spirit would quickly remind them to lose it, to get rid of it, to shake off all of those things which once imprisoned us. God, and that each person here, when their heart is troubled, know that they look to a high priest who was troubled. Yet even when we were still sinners, he took on the cross. He headed right into trouble. Help us to use this time that we have left on this earth to point people to you. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.